Hi, I'm Andile Masugu of African Tech Roundup, and I'm on the mic with uh, a good friend um, at this at this point in my career, also uh, my boss in some respects, uh, when it comes to uh, the opinion editorials uh, African Tech Roundup submits to uh, Business Report, uh, Philippa Larkin, who is the content editor of said publication. Hi, how are you doing? Very well, Andile, and I'm delighted to be here today. Fantastic. Well, look, I mean, we uh, this is the first time you and I are on a mic together. Uh, I have to say on behalf of the team, we're quite uh, happy to know that you listen to our podcasts um, quite regularly and it's about time we had you on. Yes, you're right. It's about time and I'm, I'm excited. This is my uh, virgin podcast, so to speak. So I'm a little bit nervous. Please excuse me. Don't be <laughs> nervous. Don't be nervous. It's all friendly people out here um, in podcast land. But yeah, really, this is about you uh, and I having a chat about some of the more interesting things that have started to come across your desk over at Business Report, which of course is an independent uh, media title. Uh, for those of you who don't know uh, and, and might not know, independent of course being one of the, the, the larger news outlets in the country, certainly in print, arguably the largest, and then uh, online at least top three. And of course, uh, Business Report being the country's largest daily. Shameless plug here, folks. We, we're rolling a good company. We're rolling heavy. Uh, and Philippa, so without any further ado, you've got a little notebook with some some things that have piqued your interest. You and I have been talking offline for a bit about some of the you know the global trends around uh, tech and innovation that uh, interest you and I both. And then, of course, how some of these trends impact us right here on the continent. So, yeah, when you're ready, um, let's start the chat. Okay, Andile, I have been um, watching the tech space with a lot of interest lately, and I'm seeing it again. Um, uh, almost critical mass with um, a lot of ideas sparking. And I just wanted to ask you, what are the f- top five companies we must look out for innovation-wise? This is going to be a tough one to answer um, because it's going to feel as though... I, I, I'd really like to point to sort of African companies that I feel like are doing uh, amazing things. But I think in global tech, uh, by and large, there is a sort of unfortunate concentration of power and influence, um, you know, tied up in certain usual suspects. And I think in speaking about them, you can get a sense of where the promise might be for smaller versions or perhaps even competitors to them in uh, other markets, developing markets on the continent, for example. So I say that just because I know people who know me well, you know, will think, hey, you didn't give us a shout out. And it, this isn't really the point. I'm, with that said, I'm going to answer the question. Um, Facebook has to be up there. Um, Google, um, Amazon, um, anything Elon Musk does um, would be up there. And let me think about that. I'd say Netflix um, would would round out the top five. Now, if your if your question is why why Facebook, I think the headlines of late are pretty obvious. Um, the social media turned media company that would rather not be known as a media company that is has become a ubiquitous part of our lives. It has to be said to be fair to them in in very useful ways, but in, in some you know um, less than savory and perhaps questionable ways that have had us wondering about data privacy and. And, and things like that. So Facebook definitely first. And then Google, just because of the consummate sort of te- platform play, as it were, right? 
uh, think 10, 15 years back or whenever else they, 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 they were founded. I mean, without any idea at the time of how they were going to monetize or make money themselves and, and then also become this uh, ubiquitous part of how those of us who use the internet on a regular basis navigate the internet, find what we need, send email. And I mean, just the way they've morphed into interesting, somewhat utilitarian and you know, less successfully into less utilitarian ways um, into everyday life um, and then monetize that. that. They have in common with, with Facebook this ability to to successfully monetize their advantage in that in the realm that they've pursued, um, Facebook also quite significantly so. So that would be Facebook, Google, um, Amazon, just because they're well on their way to owning e-commerce globally. Um, uh, who, do, who else did I say? Anything Elon Musk does, not because he's got a link to South Africa, which he's not even proud of, apparently, um, but uh, just because um, I think he, more than most sort of entrepreneurs in, the, in big tech today, manages to capture humanity's imagination in terms of what's possible, what's next, and that kind of thing. And I don't always agree with him. In fact, philosophically, I disagree with him on many, many things. But... Um, this this notion of hey we should be able to at this point in our civilization be able to get from anywhere in the planet to somewhere else in the planet in in less than half an hour i mean that's those are the kind of that's the kind of thinking that isn't common even within sort of tech and innovation circles it's like we there's like a a, a a a a tendency to be super pragmatic and that kind of thing and uh, there's this dreaminess that i love to about like how Elon approaches tech and and then business, yeah. Uh, isn't Elon a pioneer of sorts in technology? He has these ideas and he just goes for it. Yeah, I suppose pioneer. I mean, people use these terms lightly. I mean, okay, so this is where I feel like okay, um, because we're on the African continent. Uh, my idea of like what pioneering looks like and means, like from a from a from a sheer sort of quote unquote true innovation standpoint is considering the following uh, the innovation or technology that changed my father's life and made the life I now enjoy as a professional possible isn't anything you would consider high tech or even quote unquote a technology today it's the pen and paper it's the printed page uh, and I say that because my dad was it was at least a year or two before my dad was actually a documented citizen of Zimbabwe. And he went on to sort of build an entire career as an academic, but also building publishing houses across the continent. And, um, you know, uh, much of his career was dedicated to publishing and, and this incredible, uh, the, the sort of the incredible benefits the technology of publishing has brought the world, right? And so when you ask someone like me, like, what's a pioneer, you know? Is it someone who's sitting there in Silicon Valley or somewhere else um, plotting how to sort of get someone to Mars? Yeah, sure. But in the context of sort of what really matters in true innovation terms, at least in the way I like to think of innovation and its role and its importance and why it should be promoted and covered well, um, I think sometimes we, we, we buy into the hype that innovation or tech innovation specifically has to look and feel and sound a certain way and has to be almost sci-fi-ish to count as sort of pioneering. And so that's not to take anything away from Elon Musk and his role in sort of turning 
America's space industry and indeed the global space industry on its head or solar on its head or the, the driverless car industry and his disruptions there or, you know, battery driven cars and his disrupt electric cars and his disruption there. Yeah, sure. He's a pioneer, but um, if we're honest, like his ability or his somewhat unique maverick approach to problem solving or trying to do things that no one seems what to be interested in doing is built on little itty bitty pieces pieces of innovation that um you know folks like my dad have shameless plug and others would have put in place in order for that sort of thing to, to exist and be possible and so yeah i know i'm i'm going really philosophical here in in answering a very basic question is he a pioneer sure um is he working on some of the most important pioneering technological efforts of our time well depends where you live if, if you have running water or you're the average african still yet to get electricity to your home or a decent road into your village so you can actually not die during childbirth well i don't know what <laughs> <laughs> so you say say more basic needs and innovation needs to be met in a way i think i think that innovation needs to be spoken about within context mm -hmm. and judged on applicability within context mm -hmm. and so yes If we're talking about his, Elon Musk's role in helping us all think about how we need to think differently in terms of how we get around and, you know, how we need to be all sort of actively shifting to renewable resources in the case of sort of solar powered, solar power or, or electric cars. Yes, he's definitely a pioneer. He's one of many. Um, if you're talking about how, you know, space is, is a place we need to start to understand better and, and perhaps exploit you know, more actively. Well, yeah. But in the context of the, you know, knowing what the needs of my home village in Matabeleland needs and, and what technology and its impact could potentially be there, who is Elon Musk? Definitely. Definitely. I get your point. Uh, in Africa, we have such poverty, such unemployment, and we need to do, learn to do things better that aren't applicable maybe to first world countries. Exactly. So that's what I, I guess this is what I'd like someone listening to take away from this. Like someone might be listening in Vasti right now or a kid growing up or even someone, you know, an adult like like me who might look to emulate some of what he sees in Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg, God forbid, or <laughs> <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay with Mark. Yeah, Mark, Mark and I have got issues, but um, uh, he doesn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you have a lot to say to him. <laughs> no, well, I mean, he, it's all good. Actually, it's mostly it's mostly just ideas at this point in terms of like um, yeah, him as a person seems like a decent chap. But no, I, I say I, I hope I'm speaking to someone Who's, who, who might be on the verge of sort of uh, patterning their entire careers or concepts of what innovation needs to look like around an Elon Musk or one of these mainstream headline examples of global technological entrepreneurial success. And I'm saying, well, that's well and good. There's lessons we can learn from them. There's stuff we, need to, we can glean. But come now, guys. Um, like you say, we're right here on the continent. We need to look around us. We need to be relevant to what we to the needs we have and i'm not saying be limited to those needs or if it's not drilling a well in your home village then it's worthless no that's not what i'm saying i am saying though that i choose to judge innovation its efficacy its necessity its um its brilliance based on how well technology in its truest sense um answers questions that actually make an impact within a certain context 
So that's technology as an enabler uh, for the greater good in many senses, on enabling people with their ordinary lives to um, reach a, you know, meet their needs once more. Absolutely. So, I mean, that'll look different to you if you're sitting listening or listening to this podcast in Kigali, Rwanda. That'll look totally different if you're in Morocco right now or heck, if you're in Berlin, um, in the U.S. right now, uh, in the context of where America as a sort of apex consumer of the world. In the context of that, what Elon Musk has been able to achieve in that market and then, you know, look to sort of export in ideas terms and otherwise to the rest of the world, I think is brilliant. When you consider just how unsustainably the U.S. is chowing through like energy or, you know, how coal is still a thing, apparently, and how, you know, the car industry until Elon was just content to keep creating cars that were ruining the environment and, and relying, you know, maintaining, a, 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 you know, America's upward tra- trajectory on, on unsustainable reliance on oil and, and, and how they were spending ridiculous sums of taxpayers' money to try and send a rocket to space and destroy it, you know, and, and on its way down or whatever. Then, of course, then you can't help but admire the brilliance of what he's doing. But again, uh, I suppose that's where the sort of we need to push ourselves and our innovators, our founders locally, our our enterprise tech players locally to be just as relevant, just as disruptive, just as useful to our context here and and not sort of ride on the wave of of what's happening globally and how, you know, Elon is putting more satellites in the sky and stuff, which is great. But I mean, what does that mean for us? And and as far as it means something for us and we're able to harness that or learn from it or use those sort of technologies or approaches to be relevant to ourselves, then yes, I'm interested. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Um, I suppose that also highlights all the service delivery um, projects we've been having in South Africa and the absolutely urgent need to meet pe- people's basic um, needs once more. Uh, but back onto your list of innovators. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you've got a good memory. <laughs> we got a bit trapped on Elon Musk and the possibilities. <laughs> we got trapped on him. But yeah, so I'd said Facebook. Um, I'd said Google. I'd said anything Elon Musk does. Um, I think I'd mentioned Amazon. Um, I touched on them and, and, and just how... Uh, they're just quietly conquering. And I say e-commerce broadly because, you know, when, when I, when I refer to Amazon, because man, if, if Amazon's been great at doing something, I suppose besides sort of biding their time to build a platform and having us all hooked in some way or another to, to value addition that they deliver, um, they have been incredibly amazing at building businesses around it. I suppose this is something, um, everyone on this list has in common. Well, three, I'd say Facebook, Google, and Amazon have been really good at building solid, profitable, cash flow positive businesses around the advantages they've built for themselves. Now, it, so to me, that's an art in itself. You know, the ability to sort of innovate, to create a, a, a sort of consumer reliance on platforms without sort of, you know, forcing your way into our lives and just. Just, I mean, think about the world without Google, Facebook, 
or, or Amazon right now. And, and with Amazon in terms of e-commerce, um, their ability to sell us, you know, and, and leave us all begging for more, whether it's more stuff from like Amazon itself, you know, as an e-commerce platform or, you know, or through its web services or through now the entertainment wing that they, they, you know, they're sort of taking on Netflix with and, and other sort of media players with or, or taking on like mainstream retail. I'm just naming some, like the, the brilliance in, in being able to execute in business terms and leverage all the business efficiencies you built underneath uh, to leverage that platform to do all these different things, I think is an incredible thing to watch. Also, potentially worrying for many other reasons. So, I mean, there's definitely this desire for them to be ubiquitous in a ridiculous way um, that's both admirable um, but scary at the same time. Well, we recently saw the U.S. Toys R Us collapse because they didn't follow the Amazon example and get in uh, to retail early. Uh, do you think we're going to see more companies falling because they aren't um, they didn't uh, build their technology fast enough? Yeah, I mean, look, the the MBA case study a decade plus ago would have been like, what happens when Walmart comes into town, right? And basically, mom and shop, pop shops just die essentially, and. Um, yeah, you know, anyone who 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 can't take on the sort of the might of scale and sheer sort of uh, depth of pocket that you know Walmart represented then, um, and perhaps to a much lesser degree represents now within the context of retail, at least in America and in, in some parts of the world. I mean, the, the same is true for Amazon. We're already seeing, um, if we talk contextually on the continent, we're already seeing. African e-commerce players, at least the biggest ones, Jumia, Conga, Naspers, with their smorgasbord of, of brands, um, take a, a great deal of pressure. We're seeing them uh, divest. We're seeing investors divest of Conga, for example. Um, we are seeing uh, Rocket Internet, uh, you know, start, you know, talk about how they might exit sort of their Jumia investment uh, at a at a ridiculous at a ridiculously low valuation, which begs the question, is the nearly billion dollars that was invested in Jumia to date like, worthwhile? We're seeing Naspers quietly divest of certain interests they have on the continent, you know, in various countries, and while at the same time buying others abroad and, and shoring up their investments. But definitely uh, we're seeing faltering steps from many, many, many e-commerce competitors to the likes of Amazon and Alibaba. Um, and I don't know why Alibaba didn't make my list. I suppose they should probably edge out Netflix at five, if I'm honest. Uh, probably higher up the list, if I'm honest. Um, but at this point, yeah. Um, but yes, taking on Alibaba and, and say Amazon on a global scale is, is a daunting task, even locally. But the question, frankly, I think most people in the space, most investors in the space, most people who follow the space ask is what would a certain market look like if Amazon truly went in, like truly decided this is going to be ours now? Like, would there be a room for, for any other competitor outside of the ones they would permit <laughs> uh, or, or perhaps of, of the ones they're allowing to exist for the, for the purposes of not appearing to be a, a monopoly? And I, I have a feeling that um, if, if Amazon were truly to flex its muscle, Alibaba truly to flex its muscles, if they were, they could literally, I feel, be the last two standing globally in terms of like the mega e-commerce plays of our planet, which is itself a problematic notion and perhaps one that 
in terms of policy making and and I mean we're seeing Donald Trump you know question Amazon in ways that I I think are you know not quite helpful but over there but um, there's there's some something to his rhetoric about how comfortable should we be about the 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 sort of out and out dominance the likes of Amazon in the beginning to have across many many industries and so yeah. Um, Antile, just back to the Africa example for for tech care. Um, South Africans love their shopping malls. I mean, every weekend you can't get a parking space. Um, it hasn't really seemed to catch on. People are beginning to buy more Lego and loot and so on. But do you think, um, you know, we, we have a vast possible, um, potential for uh, big companies to come here and actually um, train people to be more online shoppers? Do you think that's going to happen uh, in the future? So that's a really good question. I do think, again, being relevant to our context, um, by and large, the African continent, in fact, not by and large, basically every major market on the continent right now is a cash, is a cash, in, in retail terms, is a cash market. I'm not even aware if there's any country on the continent that has, uh, that has achieved sort of double digit uh, as a percentage of sort of overall sort of retail sales, double digit retail sales, um, you, know, you know, I suppose e-commerce being be as a portion, as a, as a portion of overall sales, you know, e-commerce reaching double digit sales. And, um, yeah, look, there's so many factors that impact what makes Africans or even South Africans specifically ready to fully uh, embrace online shopping or, you know, e-commerce of any kind. And, uh, we, we've had a guest on, um, on the, on the African tech roundup and Nsuisi Sashidembo who did some research into the reticence of Af South African consumers specifically to embrace mobile, uh, mobile banking, for example. Um, there are many sort of cultural hindrances in terms of sort of building sufficient trust and, and comfort around using these tools and platforms that we still have to account for. There's the fact that, you know, we're still struggling with data prices that are relatively higher than most places in the world. We still have a relatively on average, uh, much lower internet penetration rate overall on the continent relative to say, you know, developing nations, certainly, but even other developing countries uh, and, and regions around the world. And so, yeah, it's, it's not going to be an overnight thing. And, and I think that's the thing about Amazon um, and Google and the likes of Facebook, where um, following their model kind of requires you to, to, to bide your time. Uh, when I say their model, I mean their model in terms of growth, as in we're going to sort of be good at what we do long enough until we're probably not the only option out there for you, but the most reliable or perhaps in some cases the only, um, but certainly the default option for you to do any one thing. And then once we've got you in that position, we're going to branch out into other things that add value to you being with us in ways that you haven't even started thinking about or you certainly didn't think about when you first signed up with me. Uh, you say in the case of Google Mail, in 10, 15 years ago when I first got my Google address, I certainly didn't imagine it would be a key part of how I would later transact online and, and so on and so forth or discover you know, commercial propositions that would you know, enrich Google. I, that's not what I had in mind. It just felt like this great email platform that I needed to be a part of. And, and Google had the foresight and the patience and the money to wait it out until, 
they could monetize me. <laughs> uh, and Delia, I was actually just reflecting on what you're saying. And I have to say, I, I use Facebook every day. Google is my God. <laughs> but when it comes to Amazon, I, I don't think I've actually ever bought something from Amazon. I, I actually, I love going to the shop. So I think um, at some point I, I will be buying stuff online, but I, the tactile feel of buying things for me and looking at things is part of what I enjoy. So I know that my um, brother who lives in Scotland, their family, every five minutes, the doorbell's ringing, people are dropping off stuff they've bought. And I'm fascinated to see when I, my mindset changes as a middle-class South African, when I change and I want to buy things online, I think that's when we've also reached uh, a critical mass with the online. And I'm wondering when I'm going to feel inclined to click a button. Well, you need to hang out with my wife a little more because <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm with you. Certainly before I, you know, buy a pair of boots or, or something new, uh, certainly something that's going to, you know, something I, w you know, I'd wear against my skin or something like that, or a new product of any kind. I'd much prefer like getting to touch it and feel it and just have a sense of, what it feels like in my hand and that kind of thing. My wife, on the other hand, oh my word, like she's taken to this new world, like a duck to water. I mean, you talk about Amazon. Um, there's certain, she, she has a hair, nat a natural hair re uh, regimen that relies heavily on things that she can only find on Amazon, almost cheaply via Amazon. My wife and I basically use ride hailing services pretty much exclusively at this point. What else? We buy most of our health food. I mean, there's things like, like Frico, who knew? I mean, you know, green wheat. Like you, you, you don't find that on most shelves. I mean, or what else do we normally buy? Or health foods that you know, we, my wife and I enjoy to eat, and 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 most of them are only available online. And and so we're finding, like, as a percentage of our overall spend as a as a as a family, every month, literally without fail, inching up would be the percentage of how much of that spend is done online and and to be to be fair i think the, again there's the utility there's the context to speak to as well where most of it started out as the stuff we couldn't get easily in a retail space but could access quite easily via you know so i remember the days when for example you needed a, a, a physical credit card in order to 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 order a, a, to, to buy a flight to cape town for example with Wulula. And i remember picking up the phone and phoning a friend of mine who had a credit card and when i didn't have one and 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 putting the booking through to him because you know i didn't have a credit card and i'm thinking oh my word that's literally just five six maybe seven years ago literally um, now to think of, you know, heading to a physical location to go buy a ticket to fly to Cape Town is almost, a, it's the notion itself is almost absurd. And granted, I don't represent the average, uh, I have to be humble to this. We, you and I don't represent the average Africans in any regard in terms of our spending, our income, our education level. And so we have to adjust and, and be, be humble to where the average, when I say the average, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but really where the average African is in terms of buying power, in terms of access to the internet on a regular basis, in terms of access to financial products that allow them to, to transact online, the financial intelligence to be able to know how to, you know, the, the, the sort of digital intelligence to, to be able to, on Amazon, determine whether or not to go with this supplier versus that supplier, whether on Alibaba to go through all the, 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 um, the, the, the comments so that you know, uh, you know, that this person's worth buying from and not. And, and that stuff, I mean, that doesn't happen overnight. It was a learning curve even for my wife and I. So, yeah, you were probably a long way from where the U.S. is or where your family is abroad. 
Well, Andile, it's a good uh, study that not only should our telecoms firms um, lower the data uh, prices, maybe uh, these big companies uh, must sponsor Africa. If they want a bigger market, they must give, da- give us data. And some are, some, are, some are doing that. Um, I, I don't mind giving a shout out to a company called Mobitainment. It's run by uh, two incredible women. Uh, and, and a lot of what they do in terms of providing solutions is helping brands do exactly that. Well, listen, do you want to change that? This is their proposition in a lot of the offerings they make is to brands is, do you want to change the buying habits of people? Do you want them to start to, to, to gain comfort with transacting online or engaging with digital tools or, um, in, in sort of engaging with marketing that's marketing offers made to them online? Well, Maybe you're going to incent. You'll need to incentivize their interaction by offering them data um, or reaching them through media that's already sort of zero rated that allows them to to access it. To teach actually, on some level, you need to teach people to listen to podcasts like we we're making right now. You you actually have to one show them the value, demonstrate to them that they've been missing out on something, and then hopefully create enough value for them to go well. When I get my next sort of hundred megs or my next five hundred megs or my next gig, definitely at least twenty five percent of it is going to downloading another podcast. And I feel like that's true whether you're trying to sell shoes on Zando or um, to some extent. Um, it's part of the. It's part of what I think every anybody who's doing business online needs to think about in terms of customer acquisition. How are we are not only helping people um, access. Oh, how are we walking through? How are we walking people through this customer journey? How are we sort of reducing the friction where there is insurmountable friction? How are we ensuring that we at least come to the table on or absorb some of that cost that 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 cost of what it would cost someone else to to sort of interact with us? I think it's something everyone needs to think about. Uh, and Dile, that just brings me back to the subject of education in schools. I really believe that uh, South Africa needs um, entrepreneurial classes from uh, the get-go and to learn about who the inventors were, how technology works. It's, it's not enough just to do uh, basic subjects. Our children need to learn more than just have a tech lab where they click on something. Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't know what needs to come first, though. I feel like that alongside – and I don't think it needs to be sort of – uh, either or, but um, the idea of uh, financial literacy, and um, I don't know what's at this point more important for young, you know, young Africans to to come on board with. Because, granted, you know, digital transformation and the journey we're on as a continent to uh, harness digital tools and platforms uh, to help us all sort of participate more meaningfully is now an economic issue. It's now a proxy for how economically empowered we're all going to be corporately in the future. But, I mean, if you don't even understand the basics of why you might need to say no to that offer you've received from the plethora of quote-unquote fintech startups that are offering you $5, $10 worth of, of credit, you know, via your, your, your smartphone. If you, if you don't even understand the basics, I mean, there's, there's research that's now come, that's, that's coming to the fore about the direct link between the unprecedented access to quote unquote financial inclusion. That's what they call themselves. These financial inclusion, uh, platforms that now, you know, provide micro loans to anyone with a smartphone. Well, there's, there's now a direct link between that and this, massive spike 
in, in online gambling that we're seeing on the continent. So on one hand, we see a, a, a constituent, um, a, a, a continental constituent that's ready and excited for, for the, for, to participate in digital matters, in, in, in new tools, in, in, in great devices, in, in doing things more eco- effectively. But we also see an exploitation of that enthusiasm um, in ways that we need to start to think about, okay, by the time your child is, what, getting their first smartphone, they need to be aware that they're going to be made an offer for like 10 US dollars or 5 US dollars they don't need. And with a little more intelligence, they'll be able to turn themselves into a gambling addict with a f- <laughs> and compromise their entire college tuition. I mean, I mean, this is what we're talking about, though, right? Oh, you make me very scared with two young children. <laughs> I'm in danger. Yes, I mean, we're talking about companies like Branch, um, a Silicon Valley-based company that's been, their app has been downloaded more than a million times, according to them, and they, they've just landed tons of more, in, you know, investment. And they're not the only ones. They're all of these sort of fintech plays that, are, oh, we're trying to bank the unbanked. We're trying to, you know, financially include people. Well, it's a, I mean, even companies like Mkopa that are lighting up the continent in East Africa, over 500,000 uh, uh, you know, off the grid homes apparently now have these little solar devices that Mkopa has put in them um, all on credit, you know? And the question is, um, have we invested sufficiently in the financial literacy that needs to accompany people's participation in the new digital economy? Because most of the offers being made are usually in the space of finance. And and then, I mean, this is before we even started to, to debate free basics or internet.org. So, yeah, it's just, it's nuts out here. You've raised such a can of worms with what you say. I could go on for hours. Um, firstly, that obviously that people are rooted and grounded in the knowledge of what they're seeing, not in the technological dream of uh, or idea of things. Um, the branding, I've been caught up with that. But back to um, financial literacy, I have done a lot of interviews with these uh, new stock exchanges. Uh, you know, we have the JSC's Johannesburg Stock Exchange, and I've spoken to Zarex and um, 4AX. Every single uh, new player um, speaks about financial literacy and how it's vital, vital for Africa that uh, people understand, um, you know, what you spend and um, – your purchases, it's, it's something that every um, person needs to lead, uh, learn. Yeah. I mean, to me, I feel like it's the basics you need to, that's the, those are the foundation, that's the foundation you need to have in order to sort of adequately grasp even more complex issues like, do you realize that you're the product, you know, in the context of all these social media platforms slash media companies, you know, that, you know, thinking about yourself and your data as the actual product, as part of the sort of pipeline of beneficiation. How do you even start a debate or a conversation with someone about thinking about themselves in that way or even try and get citizenry uh, uh, engaged in, in taking on, uh, you know, the likes of Facebook and, and sort of, uh, you know, uh, holding lawmakers and regulators to account around these issues. How do you even go there when the basics of understanding the value of a rand, how it's made, how it can be saved, how even with a modest salary as a domestic worker or 
or a gardener out there, you have the potential to basically ensure that by the time you're 60, 70 years old, you're a dollar or a rand millionaire. Like, Though these are to me, these are the kind of um, oversimplifications about innovation, technology, that I think are a disservice to us as a community, as a as a as a society, as a continent. That, and I and this is not to say you know to sort of rubbish every PR you know release that I you know kind of makes to my email. Uh, yes, we should be excited about how how big Vodacom is now, or yes, you know how many. You know, how, you know, how great is this new product from Cisco or, you know, how interesting is this and that? And, you know, how, how is Google changing our lives? And, and, and I, and I don't believe it's, it's the big brand's job necessarily to get us there. I think we need to develop a consciousness around it as consumers, as citizens. Uh, we need to start to ask the questions, maybe even, even with a level of granularity, those of us with any impact or any influence in our communities, we need to be asking the question, like how well do our kids know how to manage a hundred rand, you know, that they get for their birthday. So Andy, basically uh, what you're saying is with e-commerce and with all these big companies, um, that are basically monopolizing the world and how we see things is we need financial literacy in the new era to deal with these companies and the, the, the um, dreams they spin. Absolutely. I think at the heart, you see, this is the other thing that I, this is what annoys me about, say, Mark Zuckerberg and many other, you know, high profile, not just tech executives, but many, many um, sort of high profile entrepreneurs captains of industry who um, do us all a disservice by sort of projecting their commercial endeavors as some sort of altruistic thing they're doing for the world. And I'm not saying that they aren't genuinely heartwarming things that even a Facebook does that would get us all weeping here. And, and thank you, Facebook. But here's the deal. The deal is Facebook exists to maximize shareholder value. And that's true for Facebook and pretty much every listed entity in the world. And I think once we start to engage with that knowledge or that understanding or that as a base, right, we want to start to see that in the rhetoric. We want to, we want to, we want to start to be treated fairly and intelligently. We, we, we demand to be treated intelligently in terms of what, what is your interest here? What is your interest in sort of going to space, Mr. Mr. Musk? What is your true intent in, in sort of punting the sort of overlying PR, you know, rhetoric that you're putting out, you know, Jeff Bezos about anything? To his credit, the, someone like a Jack Ma um, often gets a shout out from me, not because I... I, I, I co-sign every decision he makes and, and, and I'm, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of his or anything. I just feel like um, he's often more refreshingly straightforward about the, the profit motive that he, he's basically hired by Alibaba to promote and giving a balanced scorecard of the benefits and the potential risks of not just buying into the ideas he's spinning, but also in doing business with him. And I feel like we all need to start to, to, ha to have those conversations. And th those are financial literacy conversations, basically. Taking this a bit further into a different realm, uh, we as a consumer are basically shareholders, global shareholders in these companies. And um, 
what is their responsibility to us? Do we need to become active shareholders with a critical voice? For example, Richard Stallman, who is, um, um, he believes in free software and he champions the cause of, um, you know, a more open um, software. Uh, do we need more, more voices like that to protect our rights? Yeah, so I mean, Richard's an incredible voice and proponent for for. It's interesting how this whole open source software thing has has come sort of full circle, where even the big brands are like, "Oh, we're so behind these communities," and whether it's Java or Linux or whatever. Um, uh, it, it, you know, yes, one we do need um, more voices. Um, I think we do definitely underestimate the role of soft power, the incredibly un, well, the unprecedented way that. Everyday citizens, whether they're journalists or quasi-journalists, commentators or whatever they, you know, folks like me choose to call themselves, um, whether you're actively sort of in the media sphere is what I'm saying or not. Like we have an unprecedented opportunity to, to influence agenda in a way that's never been done before. Um, it used to be that, um, frankly, if, if, if you wanted to be cool, you had to go via Hollywood. Um, to make things cool. And that's still by and large still true when you consider how cool it is now to be from Wakanda and, and we have Hollywood to thank for that. But I mean, you know, Korea is showing us in terms of, listen, we can, through through sort of soft power, the soft power sort of wave of K-pop and, and China coming on board with, hey, we can do this too, you know, China, trying to bring China pop to the Japan as well. I think we underestimate the role um, our voices can have in public discourse around matters that influence us and impact us as a continent. And which is why it's often quite annoying to see what we choose to use our voices for when you jump onto Twitter um, as the privileged uh, minority of African citizens. Uh, and I'm speaking to Africans on Twitter, you know, what we choose to talk about or choose to promote or choose to back, even just in terms of like what we tweet about is often quite disappointing to me. That said, um, yes, we need voices like like Richards. We need rubber meets roads individuals like Richards because I, th- I feel like he also walks the talk in terms of how he spends his money and his time, uh, what he chooses to back and invest in and, and be involved with. Uh, we need more people like that. We need uh, the, the irony of what's happening on the African continent is the vast majority of venture capital, for example, that comes into into Africa to develop startups and especially in the technology space, is coming from abroad. And that's not because there's a dearth of, of local capital, um, you know, either at the angel investment or early stage level, whether it's angel or, or VC or, or sort of later on sort of private equity. We, we have ourselves to blame, those of us with the means, that aren't putting our money where our mouth is in terms of like pushing the agenda back. And I mean, on one hand, you can say you can hold your governments to account or sort of, you know, condemn local mobile telcos and regulators for allowing free basics to like move in on us and that kind of thing. On the other hand, you have to ask yourself, like, what have we done with our money, with our, you know, with our influence to provide alternatives or to suggest alternatives? Well, I'll tell you what China's done. They've gone ahead and done WeChat, haven't they? Right. They've, they've gone like fully protectionist, which am I suggesting that's something we might need to look to? Well, maybe we might. Maybe we might need to, to call a moratorium on who gets to come and open the next, uh, you know, ride hailing service. And I say that cringing because I know how bad 
all the others are relative to Uber, you know, in terms of efficiency. But I mean, maybe that's what we need to go. We need to go the sort of Kigali Rwanda route and go, actually, we're going to set the terms of engagement. We're going to say who and how. We're going to vet every opportunity that comes uh, that looks to sort of monetize our people or their data or their financial financial literacy or lack thereof. We're going to vet this for accountability. That sounds... That sounds scary even as I'm saying it because I, I, that sounds like like a highly regulated sort of police state. Um, it almost sounds like China, and I'm not sure I'd want to live in a world like that. But some of that thinking needs to come in, yeah, I think. I couldn't agree more. You know, I'm a great fan of Proudly SA, and we run in Business Report, run the column by Eustace. And part of our procurement chain needs to be local. And we need to celebrate local technology. And now if you look to China with this whole trade war, and uh, Jack Ma has recently uh, spoken a lot about semiconductors and how they need to not use American technology, that um, they need to make their own semiconductors. Now, they have a Made in China 2025 initiative where they're aiming to spend $150 billion over 10 years in developing their industry. It's about time that South Africa, we actually develop uh, some locally grown solutions and uh, local tech companies. Now, Adela, which companies should we be looking at in Africa um, as our brands? What Do we have an Apple in the, the sidelines? The, the the situation you've cited um, in China with Jack Ma and, what he's, and his declarations recently also linked to the whole ZTE thing and how ZTE, one of... China's arguably one of China's biggest uh, tech companies now being banned from, from, well, I suppose American companies now being banned from, from working with them for a laundry list of reasons, including, hey, we're not sure how much Chinese technology we want in our own tech, yada, yada. Um, but this is an economic issue. It, 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 finish and cloud. Like at the end of the day, America is looking at um, trying to, well, Trump is trying to solve for what he probably considers an over-reliance on foreign tech um, uh, imports that are not being uh, properly taxed or adequately adding value to the, you know, Af you know, America's economic situation. And, and I mean, I know a lot of people I've spoken to who can't stand Trump, but can sort of understand where he's coming from with that particular rhetoric. And I say that carefully because saying I agree with Trump or saying that I know people who agree with Trump is a bit problematic. And, and, but I am saying that this idea um, that uh, we need to think about, we, we need to realize that unfortunately, particularly the most developed parts of the world are starting to think um, about themselves before they think about everyone else. And, and the reason we can't ignore that is not because we want to sort of be tit for tat is they already have a massive economic advantage on the rest of the world. So their decision to go in that route, to, to go that direction has scary implications for, for, for the developing world that is still yet to catch up on so many metrics. So for us not to think about it or pretend it's not happening or to, to think that, you know, you know, for some warm, touchy feeling, hey, we don't want to be protectionists, you know, we are the world. For us to promote those ideals at the expense of sort of the reality of what's going on, I think is problematic. And so, you know, to the, to, you know, the final question you asked, well, one comes to mind and um, or I'll, I'll mention two. The first one is the Venture Garden Group in, in Nigeria. The platform player they're trying to create as a sort of a backbone infrastructure for 
all sorts of interesting value propositions they can make in in in, in different directions that leverage like a, a single sort of technological infrastructure. Not unlike what SAP has built over the years in terms of. Hey, do you need ERP? Well, sure, we've got it. Hey, do you want to sort of optimize your payroll? Hey, we can do that. Hey, you know what I mean? Depending on what you need, we can consult, we can do whatever. And and then just having the technical, because people forget a company like SAP is essentially a software company. Um, in fact, they're less and less themselves promoting themselves as that and more really a solutions business. And, I, and I'm quite liking... Um, or quite intrigued with platform plays uh, on the continent, like the Venture Garden Group, that has an incredible, you know, a portfolio of companies and interests and, and subsidiaries that are now starting to leverage work they've put in over the last decade or so into building uh, a backbone infrastructure, and it goes in all, all sorts of directions. Things that uh, they've taken the time and the energy to to work out within the context of Nigeria specifically. And I think that bet is going to they, – they, they would have received a massive investment or relatively massive investment within the space about three or four years ago from Convergence Partners. Convergence Partners, of course, invested in CECOM and another sort of uh, uh, pretty pretty – you know, dope plays on the continent. They, they've been part of one of the biggest ICO successes of the last year. Um, uh, uh, the Shore Remit group, uh, the Shore Remit uh, platform. You know, I've just, I find that they, they, they hit the sweet pot, spot for me in terms of like relevantly addressing gaps that they find within the context of where they exist, i.e. in Nigeria, and I'm not limiting their efficacy or their efforts or their prospects to, to, to other parts of the world or even the continent, but certainly they're doing things that even an SAP applying itself, in, you know, attempting to sort of apply itself within that foray would have a really hard time to do, and they're, they're winning. They're making great investments. They're, they're making money. That gets me excited. Um, and then... The other interesting play that I'd like to flag, and I'll only mention two, is a company called Yego Moto. Well, Yego Moto has got a holding company, which I can't remember now. It's Yego something. But Yego Moto is essentially a ride-hailing service for motos, which are um, two-wheelers that carry people around. This is quite common in Central, Eastern, and Western Africa. They're based in Rwanda. And they, they weren't first to the party. I believe there were already two other services in Rwanda that offered this. Um, but they're the first to come to the table with well, this invaluable blessing from the government. Um, they've approached it from the standpoint of, listen, this is just one in a part of many other platform plays that we're going to make that are going to add benefits to the people who who make use of the platform, i.e. someone like me who, while in Rwanda, use the app to get, to get around on the back of a motorcycle. It is a gaming experience, I'll have you know. But also in helping sort of bring financial inclusion and proper economic participation and, and job security to drivers of these things and, 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 and it reduce the crime associated with this very um, what's considered under, well, I suppose not so mainstream, I suppose mainstream, but not so um, sophisticated uh, industry in a place like Rwanda, reduce traffic violations. But you see, they're ticking boxes for government in an almost big brother sense. And they're ticking boxes in a commercial sense. And they're also mining for data. They're doing all sorts of things and, and creating a platform play that's going to leverage all those things in other ways. Now, I'm not giving them an endorsement. I just think this is an interesting, uh, an interesting 
trend to watch on the continent? Two platform plays, Yegomoto and Venture Garden Group. You're talking about the government. Uh, have uh, Did Nigeria and Rwanda, did they fully support these companies or did they have to do it alone? So in the case of Yogomoto, um, frankly, think of Rwanda really as, uh, as uh, Africa's Singapore. So they're, they're the darlings of, of East Africa at the moment. It's really cool to, you know, to be in with what um, their president Paul Kagame is into. Um, it's a clean country. Um, crime is you know, relatively speaking, non-existent and whatever. But um, all these things are true for, for Singapore, which incidentally, Rwanda has a really close relationship with. Yego Moto happens to be a Singaporean company, as it happens. So none of what Yego Moto is doing on the scale it's doing it, none of its aspirations are sustainable outside of like this really tight relationship they have with the Rwanda, Rwandan government. Now think of that what you may, but that's the reality, Right. Um, in Nigeria, um, yeah, look, I mean, Nigeria, uh, relatively speaking, again, um, I can't speak for how tight, say, the Venture Garden Group is with government, but um, they're not invested in as nearly a, a politicized space as Yegomoto would be relative, you know, in, 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 in Rwanda. Um, but that said, I mean, they've got um, the, the likes of Flutterwave, a fintech startup, as part of their portfolio. And, and I mean, so they, they obviously have plays that intersect with key regulatory authorities within Nigeria, and they do have to play ball. And um, they're being local and, and Facebook. And I think Nigeria, aside from I mean, attracting uh, a fair chunk, if not the largest chunk of venture capital in the last year or so um, as, uh, as a single market relative to other markets on the continent, um, has the largest percentage of those businesses being Nigerian founders sourcing that money. It's certainly not expats. And so that's also what's interesting about Nigeria. Um, it does... Give me, Nigeria as a market gives me a sense of um, local people being uh, the acknowledgement that when you when you engage with local people with the skills and the right level of uh, um, verve to get something done, you get a really great result. And and while it's easier to sort of back, if you're a, a foreign venture capital firm to back. Uh, uh, um, a founder who looks and sounds like you because he went to Harvard or she, or she, you know, grew up in, in, in Silicon Valley. Um, the truth is, um, Nigeria is, is a really interesting place to observe how innovation is coming to fruition in commercial terms. Um, and also how interesting it is that so much of that innovation is reliant on homegrown talent. And so for that reason, it's, it's actually quite interesting to observe Nigeria generally, but also what's happening, uh, what, what's representative of, say, Venture Garden as a group, um, it's, its portfolio companies, it's, it's um, all the interesting sort of intersections they have with like local authorities at a regulatory level, um, how relevant they have to be by default, you know, in order to, for, existentially to, to local issues and uh, in order to you know to to actually make money, but also create a solid platform for growth going forward. But um, I could unpack why those two sort of case studies or those companies' case studies are representative of a lot of the issues that I'm quite interested about um, as as someone who studies the scene. Well, thanks, Andile. But one last thing: what what are you keeping your eye on at the moment? What's the biggest thing you're watching? 
So I'm going to be selfish with this one. Um, the trend I described about um, taking soft power seriously and this unprecedented ability we all have or at our disposal, uh, at many of us our disposal, and I'm speaking to, to people who, like me, are, are, are blessed with access to the Internet and relatively, you know, frictionless access to all kinds of media from anywhere in the world, etc. People like you and I, uh, Philippa, um, have really no excuse to not take full advantage of this opportunity to not just, you know, blast people with our opinion, but really just assert our, our point of view, leverage the point of view you and I both enjoy. And I, and I use you specifically because as, you know, content editor at Business Report, like the conversations you have, like the emails you get and no one else does, you know, the, the, the places you get to go and get invited to that most people don't, you know, and these are true for myself as well as executive producer of, of African Tech Roundup. This is true for me. The research I have to do for the pieces we do, the podcast guests I have, I have more conversations with more people in this space than the average person, I'd like to think. Um, and um, if you think you have more, just give me an, send me an email and we'll fight it out. Um, but no, but my point is, I suppose that's what's top of mind for me right now. It's how do I um, make the most of everything that's been invested in me as as uh, as a young black African um, with a voice, uh, with an education, with a platform, part of a community, uh, plugged into a pretty dope live network at arguably one of the most interesting times in history as far as sort of digital um, technology and its advancements is concerned. And so, yeah, how African Tech Roundup as a village square can be part of, you know, pushing that forward, how we can look to sustainably monetize ventures in that space and how we can sort of engage globally uh, without losing our local relevance. So that's what's top of mind for me. It's kind of selfish, but that's <laughs> that's the deal right now. Uh, thanks, Andila. You've really um, opened up my brain and uh, I have to say I have this uh, urge to go shop on Amazon now. <laughs> well, look again. Um, check the vendor. Go through the comments. Make sure that they're dope. Don't worry. I'll make sure it's proudly South African. Or go on their website and buy something locally. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> Thanks, Andelia. This, this was a great conversation. Cheers. <laughs>